My 20s were a decade of trying to figure out what in the heck was going on. We were told something is happening on the streets, so get ready, use your guns against the people. Whatever you do, as best as you know how to live into it, be full-hearted or just quit. Be full-hearted and quitting. Our lives are meant to make us feel very safe and very taken care of. And then what you end up feeling is you don't know yourself in unknown places. Buckle up, folks, because we've got an experimental episode this week for you. We are having a conversation with a friend of ours, a young man in a similar season of life as us, and wanted to just talk about his stories, our stories, and ways that we're approaching life these days. Yeah, so this is Jesse Barclow, guy we actually grew up with and then didn't see for a long time and then connected with years later. But pretty fascinating trajectory of uh, self-educated into need to have someone teach him something about the classics and literature into being one of the more accomplished cooks which he wouldn't identify as a chef, but I might call him that, that I've ever met, and then on into Princeton Theological Seminary. So hope you get a lot out of this story. We're going to be connecting with guys who are our age simply to try teasing out some of the core themes of a young man's life and the varied experiences of our peers. Yeah, we hope there's something in this story that you might connect to, some motivator or way of making a decision or something maybe that's hopeful about a potential way of living out life. Okay. How do you feel about the fact that you are going to be doing a triathlon this weekend? I think that on a list of moving, career change, child, it comes down pretty pretty low. So I feel sort of... uh, you know, and it's my well, like my third at least. What are you say? It's my that? third, or is it? Yeah, it's at least my third triathlon at least in twelve months. So I feel like it's you know it's going to be good. It feels very different than the first triathlon where I had two paid months off as a teacher to train and do nothing else, and now it is very much lower on the table of things I have to get done. It doesn't help that there's like a blizzard rolling into town tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I plan on doing all my training tomorrow, so it's kind of threw off my... Dang, I really does start wrenching things. So, triathlon, definitively at the bottom of the totem pole. What's at the top right now? <sighs> top would be packing my bag for a trip to Europe and packing my house for a move across the country and trying to figure out how to move a one-bedroom apartment from Colorado to New Jersey at the lowest cost possible. <laughs> so far, what would you say? Like 20 bucks, <laughs> 30 bucks? I mean, like gas money alone. Well, there's more than just money though because right now my in-laws are offering to help, but that brings in a whole nother cost, you know, just a different, uh, a different level of, of dealing with things. So currently it's the cheapest thing is to include my in-laws in the move and then that emotional... Uh, experience of of moving your family. So you're kind of choosing what you want to s- invest with. Yes, like, yes. There's kind of this ratio of emotional to financial investment you're trying to find the sweet spot on. That's exactly right, yeah. And then you're moving, yes, to New Jersey, but more specifically, you're moving to Princeton, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Small township in New Jersey, yeah. I, I mean, just, that name sounds familiar. Yeah, I, I, I just can't, I can't. 
Oh, Princeton's there in Princeton. Yeah, there's the university. Oh, yeah, the University of Princeton. Are you gonna like go by every now and again? Like, I'll be check pretty it out? close. Yeah, I'll be right next door at the uh, seminary, Princeton Seminary. So, <laughs> so a fairly <laughs> radical shift. Yeah, a fairly radical shift. Yeah. Um, you're also nearing the end of like of teaching for how many years? Like four, four years. Yeah. Can that not be somewhere in the totem pole of like I can hear chariots of fire, which I've actually never seen, except for like the one obligatory cultural reference scene, where they're running on the beach and dun, 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 yeah, that's that's the first five minutes of the film. Well, it's the title sequence, and I kind of tuned out after that, or then left the room. There were not enough lightsabers, so that's what I hear when I think of you running towards the finish line of I. I, I you were in middle school teaching. You were in high school teaching, which actually was a really amazing gig to drop out of the air four mm-hmm. years ago. Right? Yeah. Like at that point, even like the idea of somehow working in your major and something you cared about was like the stars aligning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And a pretty crazy way. I mean, right at the time I was a dishwasher slash line cook slash kitchen manager at a small restaurant downtown Colorado Springs and fighting for a 50 cent raise and really over the the professional kitchen experience and applied for one teaching job and was turned down without any surprise on my side and uh, and then received a call. Having from, had no experience and no teaching yeah, certificate. having absolutely license. no teaching experience and being terrified of being in front of other human beings. Oh, that would uh, make yeah. things hard. Yeah, and very little uh, on my resume to, to impress. But when a school is very desperate for a Latin teacher and they hear that somebody is even remotely capable, then they'll hire. So and I think it worked out fairly well for them and me. You did like the exact opposite thing that you started with, with the triathlons and making yourself sound amazing <laughs> with the teaching thing. You know, when people are desperate and I guess you're around and honestly, they just needed a warm body with wearing shoes. Yeah, more or less. <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I didn't make things worse, which is always uh, my approach to the job. <laughs> I want to go back to the beginning of the story. You're graduating high school many years ago mm-hmm. and... I remember your high school was fairly pretentious and, you know, we were at your graduation and, you know, a person would come up and small graduating class and so be like, yeah, like this is Claire Miss Prince and she is on her way to London to study at the London School of Economics and here is Dewey McDool and he's actually just going to step over to be CEO of his father's company. And then like my favorite moment of the ceremony was, here's Jesse. And his plans include work and travel. <laughs> <laughs> but with less of a positive note in the voice. Yeah. And he's going to work. And travel. And travel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I remember, like, you, so you were growing up, the, the four brothers were obviously super close. Actually, the fifth. Sorry about that, Luke. But, you know, the, the four mostly. Ooh, that's going to hurt. <laughs> um, and you were the first to step into kind of the great unknown of post-high school life. And you did, like you stepped off to do the Camino de Santiago, mm-hmm. which, you know, was, I don't know if it was made more famous or less famous by the film, the the Sheen film of The Walk. Mm-hmm. But like, what was, I'm, I'm curious, Blaine, like naming Jesse's high school graduation and he's going to work and he's going to travel. Like we watched you go do the Camino and then step into an undergrad in the classics. 
what felt like like were priorities at that point. What were the values that you were moving to? Mm. I think I was I was drawn towards some sort of experience. With the travel, especially, was like I I just felt after eighteen years of a certain type of lifestyle, I needed like some sort of shifting journey that would sort of be like the step into adulthood, and so. That was the Camino for me. That was kind of the goal of that is I just needed a solo trip in a place where, you know, I didn't know anybody and had no idea what was going on. So I could kind of, you know, experience that side of life a little bit. And it was a wake up, but in a, in a very good way. I mean, it was, you know, being in a country where I, I knew all of the three words I learned in high school Spanish class. And I think I, I think I bought my ticket two weeks before I left. And I think I planned as little as possible and then just kind of showed up and and uh was that on purpose yeah i mean yeah yeah pretty much i wanted to kind of have an experience that would just you know unfold as it went and without me knowing what was coming next so i wouldn't really i didn't really map it out at all i I just kind of picked a to z on this trail like here's where i start and here's where i end and these are where my flights need to be and then i'll kind of see what happens in between what were the things in the community of santiago that when you think back on it stand out to you as being thresholds in the transition you were hoping for? I think the just complete, I don't want to say self-reliance, but the complete independence from everything I knew, parents, friends, America, English, I was just complete cut off from all of that. And a sudden, you know, place where you're, it's you and it's your God. And that's about it, you know, and then what you can make up out of some Spanish notes on the trail and and then the people you meet along the way so that that was huge because i had never i had never traveled solo i had never been in the country i didn't speak the language and i had never been expected to take care of myself for 40 days and you know figure out who was good and who was maybe taking me for my money and hypothetically speaking hypothetically speaking if we're one were to run into a con artist yeah and to loan him significant chunks of your very limited cash, yeah. I love it. There's so many, like, you, you wanted an experience and you wanted to step into a season that aligned with what was actually happening in your world. Like, gone was the 18 years of the rhythm in a, in your parents' house. And, I mean, grade school and high school was really laid out for you. Um, right. And there's that shift into kind of what comes next. I think these days, and I fall into this category, most people do just jump into college and you're like, well, the next step is this. And I like that there was that breathing room. And it also sounds, I can't help but name, it sounds very millennial. <laughs> like, I wanted this experience. I wanted to feel like, yeah, well, I mean, you got you got robbed by a guy with bad teeth and you slept in like old ruined churches. Mm-hmm. That sounds pretty dang romantic to me. Yeah, it's interesting because the thing that I noticed in thinking of that's such a millennial move that's so classic for a generation, is the fact that it was also the best option of when you describe the things that were true to your experience, living in your parents' house, living in uh, the United States, at least living in a place where English is the lingua franca. I'm just struck at the fact that we actually, it's not wrong that for us those experiences had to, and to a certain extent still have to, be fabricated. Like, if you had grown up on your parents' farm and then lived there until you were married and then they were parceling off a piece for you to manage, that would be a very natural transition into a kind of independence. Mm-hmm. But if you completed the school system and 
like really, which feels like uh, doing your sentence, like <laughs> paying what was required of you to be made a liberated person. Mm-hmm. And you had achieved that. And then the first thing in front of you was, well, I need a major threshold. And so I'm going to put it in there. Mm. And I do think that that is better than not doing that as much as there's the thing of, oh, man, the young people, they just want to get out of the country and they go to India and they work at an orphanage. And I'm sure they have a life-changing experience, but to name, lots <laughs> lots of them need that. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point because, yeah, it's a, it's a very fabricated, like, I'm going to fly to another country just to be in a place where that can happen and it's not going to happen, you know, in my neighborhood and... And it's not going to happen. At least for me, it wasn't going to happen unless I made that one step of like, okay, there's a plane ticket. We'll see what happens for the next 40 days. Did you feel a pressure to come back from that and have new direction or like some massive change? But like people go, wow, Jesse, you seem so, I don't know if it's different or changed or wise or like, was there pressure to come back from that? Looking like Bilbo. Yeah, like a guru. <laughs> like, be careful when you go out your door, Frodo. <laughs> you never know. Um, I uh, Well, I'm trying to think back to 19-year-old Jesse. It was a decade ago. It was I a know. decade ago, yeah. And he was very unaware of pressure. <laughs> and it just in the for sense good of and like, bad. Yeah, for good and bad, yeah. I mean, I think maybe some pressure just to come back with like some epic stories. And I had like all, all of my friends from high school, from the school I was at, they went together to Europe and they all had the like classic, we, you know, took a train from city to city and we drank and we hung out with each other. And that was a much cooler story just in terms of like, at least they were all much better at telling their stories than I was. For me, it was like, well, I was alone for 40 days and I walked and I had no money. So I didn't really go to any museums unless they were free. And, uh, you know, I slept in like the dirtiest little hostels that you've ever heard of for like $5 a night. And you know, it's God, not that quite sounds, as... That sounds so romantic right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know that at the time, it probably didn't seem as flashy yeah. as your friends working out their pent-up sexual frustration yes. on a train right. all around Europe. But there was something now, now looking back on it that I'm like, I mean, you're 19. You may not have eyes to see it, but that there was something, I don't know, maybe better about that choice. Yeah, I mean, it felt it felt meaningful in a way that a lot of my travel experiences at least have not. I mean, yeah, I had great travel experiences, but it felt like it had a certain, yeah, value to it of just like the risk and the kind of unknown that, you know, you don't necessarily get with like a well-booked trip. Totally. Speaking of which, I will be going on in exactly (laughs) one week from tomorrow. Don't bash, don't bash on what you're about to do. (laughs) I do want to shift to your choice of like why you majored in what you majored and why you shifted to undergrad. But like, I also, this isn't just riddle Jesse with interview questions. Like I'm, I'm struck by my time, my choices to make similar travels at that age, like did a semester abroad in college, have been abroad several times since right after graduating from, from college. So later than you, but everyone I've talked to uh, and I hate making a generalization like that, but it does seem like everyone I've talked to, there's something to those experiences at a younger age that unfortunately need to be a little bit fabricated these days. It's why when people come and do like a trip in the mountains, you know, Young Life and similar well-meaning organizations, they, they can have these phenomenal experiences for people because they've never done anything crazy before. 
you get like this whole adventure outdoor industry because of how like powerful that is. And yet our lives are meant to make us feel very safe and very um, taken care of. And then what you end up feeling is very like, you, un, you don't know yourself in unknown places. And truthfully, between 19 and 29, there are so many unknown quote unquote places that you're going to be stepping into that you would be doing yourself a disservice if you hadn't begun to learn and walk in those. Hmm. I don't know when if that strikes a chord or not, but. No, I agree. I think I went to my time in Latin America, which by many measures was more artificial uh, and had more significant guardrails on it than your time in Spain. But the value of the decision of at least stripping yourself of a few of the major crutches of your experience, maybe it's communication, maybe it's money, maybe it's the people you know, but making intentional choices for myself in that case to limit at least the kinds of tools that I was familiar with that I had available, it made a huge difference. And I think that, yeah, to close that point, it would be wonderful if those things rolled in on a tray on a regular basis into our life, but I don't think they do. I'm not, at least for anyone that I know. And I also think, you know, we've been talking about this in terms of the 19-year-old, but I think of, you know, it looks very different as married guys who either who have children in some sense. I mean, you're going to have a, one out in the world very soon. There are a lot more time constraints, but there still are, like, even doing triathlon last year for us was a way of organizing and stepping into that kind of test mm-hmm. and that kind of threshold where it was a total stepping out and stepping up even to finish yeah. our first try together. So, Totally. So there's this quote that I love, and it's the this quote that says, the world is a book and the, your hometown is only the first page. And so like there's there's much to be learned and discovered. And um, one of my favorite stories actually from Blaine's time in Latin America was that his ability to speak Spanish improves with the more tequila he drinks. This gets a lot better fast. <laughs> <laughs> like, See, at least it's used to. <laughs> <laughs> Which was confirmed by your host's mother, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it was. Um, Mama Cookie. <laughs> I, I want to say Coco, so I'm glad you uh, jumped in there. So you, you like you stepped back. And what was the pull for you, Jesse, into academia? Because there's some assumptions one could make that one, it's the pull because everyone else does it. Two, that it's the necessary thing to get a job. And therefore, what you're going to choose to do is business or communications or marketing. Three, it's sort of like question mark, question mark, question mark, which is to say not something people typically expect, except for maybe from millennials, because we tend to like have a, a plethora of liberal arts majors and people doing those sorts of things. So what was it for you that pulled you into college and undergrad and has kind of guided some of your passion for learning since then? Uh, I think a, the biggest part of the decision for me to, to go to, under, to start my undergrad was was the fact that after, I mean, I took two and a half years, I think, before I started. But I found myself spending a lot of time at coffee shops reading literature and dabbling with philosophy and theology and realizing I don't really know how to do this on my own. I, I need somebody to help me. I need I need more tools to, you know, to get through. I mean, you know, read a C.S. Lewis and it's amazing and it's 
but it, it's digestible. And then you try to read the guys that he quotes and the people he points to. And I was like, oh, I have no idea what's happening in the divine comedy. This is supposed to be the great work of poetry, and I know it is, but I don't get it at all. So maybe I should go to school and somebody can kind of help me hmm. figure that out. So I think that was the I think that was the biggest one is probably just spending the majority of my free time at a coffee shop reading books and finally deciding, okay, I, I'm not equipped for this. Yet. Weren't you going to like Akia Sophia in town and uh-huh. like there's something to the orthodox and the philosophical that was already already had its hooks in you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, a little coffee shop run by the Orthodox Christian Church in town, the Russian Orthodox Church, and yeah. So to clarify, you then make the choice to jump into school. Mm-hmm. After, after being a painter for several years. After painting, video production, and uh making a really cool cross-country documentary film with a friend (laughs) which my two takeaways were a really great shot of jesse hanging out a window with a very expensive camera and that's why the rabbits eat the cactus (laughs) to get the water (laughs) (laughs) oh my goodness well done yeah those are those are my two takeaways that's why the rabbits eat the cactus we use that all the time (laughs) get to the water inside (laughs) yeah which is a little esoteric for those of you listening but you step into undergrad and then you graduate with this killer degree in the classics. You end up as a line cook. Mm-hmm. Ugh, I can't even finish. Like, you, did you get a free beer at the end of the shift? Like, I remember I got they had a like free beer and a shot. And a shot. Yeah. So, free shot of free beer. And uh, it's hard to turn down when you have no money and you just worked yeah. a very intense job. I know at the end of the story, that it was a lot of let's say, disappointment with uh, the sordid elements of the food industry. But there was also a lot of mastery for you in that, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. I think that you started working while you were still an undergrad. Right. As like, in exchange for a place to live, you right. would make meals. Yeah. And tell me about the, there was a piece that was, you were functionally extorted for your entire chef working career. But there was also a piece that really appealed to you. Mm-hmm. What was that piece? The thing I love about about cooking is the is the combination of the elements of manual labor with creativity with the natural realm of food and drink, you know, with all those pieces. So I, I mean, I love having a sharp knife. It's just you know one of the best tools you can have is a chef's knife, a sharp chef's knife. You know, I love working with food, and I haven't grown it, but I love you know getting to take it from its least most raw form, post farmer. And, uh, you know, turning that into what then becomes a meal and um, all the different aspects that go into that with, you know, the prep and the actual cooking and the plating experience that it just kind of combines all these all these levels of, I guess, human interaction with nature and of work that, you know, you don't get in other places like teaching or something like that where you kind of you're stuck in a room and with a book, you know, and it's great. But I love that that interaction, I guess. Culturally, we've had a massive shift with cooking, right? Mm-hmm. Like chefs have become famous. We've had plenty of TV shows following the craft of fine cuisine to really lowbrow cuisine. And there's something in that that I, I want to be like, I've experienced the shift personally with you. When like family dinners were no longer the same for you. Right. Holidays were no longer the same for you. There was something to it that was joy and pleasure for mm-hmm. you in the craft and there was something to learning a skill and getting good at it. It, it. Like, to be 
skilled at something has a massive effect on how you feel about other things. Right. So to be skilled at, at cooking, I think potentially had the effect to shift how you felt about the classics and how, mm-hmm. like how you felt about offering skill in other areas. And I do want to make that shift, but I want to ask this question first. What three things in cooking would you name for young men to like, you need to learn how to do this? And it might be just sharpening your dang knives. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that that's huge, actually. A sharp knife changes the entire kitchen experience. And if you don't have a sharp knife, get one. And if you if you have a sharp knife, you need to know how to keep it honed and then how to sharpen it regularly. So having good tools, and that's true of anything, right? You just need to have good tools, and then you need to know how to take care of them. Otherwise, you're rebuying the cheapest tools out there, and it's you know a waste of money, and it kind of takes away from the the romance of like the experience and then i think it's just the basic you should learn just the basic prep steps like how to dice an onion in you know the most efficient way and how to you know make a stock and kind of all those simple like here's the the basic you know your your sauces your mother sauces and your kind of your main cuts and things like that and just having those down because when you have those down then the actual cooking experience becomes quicker, which is important, but also it just becomes a little more methodical and a little bit, I try to, I try to at least feel like a monk when I'm in the kitchen of like, okay, you know, here's, here are my tools, here's what I'm doing. And now I'm going to quietly and methodically approach this. And, you know, by the end, I will have had some sort of experience that, you know, sort of centers me. And, and that's not always true, especially in a restaurant kitchen, but it can be, I think, true where, where you, you know what your job is and you know what your steps are and you get to do those methodically. And that just makes the experience a whole different game than sort of guessworking your way through a recipe and realizing halfway through that you forgot the most important step or, you know, reading your recipe all the way through is another one. Read your recipe all the way through before you start so you actually know what's coming. That's so funny. These feel like very simple things, but they can actually make approaching new recipes and new styles less intimidating. Mm -hmm. If you're like, wow. I actually know how to use these tools. These tools work. Mm-hmm. I know how to use them mm. and I can do the basics mm-hmm. to get myself ready for right. what's to come down the road. Right. Then and if you want to flambe If I was a youth something. pastor, I would go to town on that metaphor. <laughs> I would go to town. <laughs> well, you're not. <laughs> so I'm not going to. <laughs> you're welcome, listener. But we should take a second as all people who have at various points come to a place where we love preparing food, I want to plug more firmly for our audience, guys, do it. Mm-hmm. What Jesse was talking about with with cutting, with knife work, I didn't know until a couple of years ago that there actually were, first of all, different forms of cuts, but different ways to approach vegetables. Like, if you're, I don't know how you're cutting a pepper, but get this, cut off the bottom and the top, you're going to have a little cylinder, cut into the cylinder, and you can cut out the whole seed pod just by cutting around. With one stroke. And then you can cut perfectly orthogonal strips. They'll be little rectangles. They won't like curve up at the end and be harder to cook. And they'll all cook at the same time and they'll all have like a nice, they'll lie flat on your skillet or your pan. It's so nice. Mm -hmm. Like that one's awesome. I think that the other one, which was actually a Jesse point out to me when we were cooking one time, is that different cooking techniques really do bring out different flavors in the food. And we were like, making this killer, like a polenta base with various vegetables on it and having some roasted in the oven and some sauteed on the stovetop. 
And then some onions that weren't even sautéed. They were just sweated, light sautéing in a pan. And then they were all put together. It was so good just by doing that. So Blaine lost me at orthogonal. <laughs> For our listeners, orthogonal just means right angles. <laughs> um, there is there's something to learning. You have the ability to apply yourself to something and achieve in something regardless of the pressures of the outside world because they are abundant mm-hmm. um, that allows you to step into other avenues. For instance, this dramatic shift from, okay, I'm going to go do this study at uh, undergrad to, well, okay, I, I'm, I, I'd be happy with minimum wage. <laughs> Just please don't <laughs> throw me out. <laughs> like, I've been paid with beer my last <laughs> job. <laughs> I'd like to be paid in money. <laughs> I'd, be happy, I'd really be happy with anything. Just um, to, wow, now I'm responsible for the minds of young mm-hmm. girls and boys to stepping into marriage, mm-hmm. to stepping into fatherhood and moving across the country. If one had studied English or the classics or were, were prone to watching dramatic arcs, you could say that this is thematic, this moment, that this moment has come many times before and will probably come many times after. But it's very easy to get stuck in the moment itself of, wow, leaving my job, going to go start a graduate program. I am now in a very different season of life, a decade older than I was on the Camino. And and yet, I wonder if there's something to experiencing the Camino, experiencing undergrad, experiencing those kitchen shifts, experiencing middle school teaching and high school teaching, and seeing like the theme of there's change and there's new, and then there's... It works. It's, mm. it's okay. They, yeah. It lends some measure of peace to the fact that, I, like, I want to reach. I feel like I'm I'm swimming still. Like I, the metaphor I used post college was treading water, and it was like, give me something to stand on. And then I felt like I've been looking for land and kind of hoping that at some point, like, okay, I'm gonna like hit something and be like, all right, I'm like, I'm good, I'm good. Like I don't have to keep treading water anymore. Right. And so I keep looking into the next decade and the next decade and seeing people who are ahead going. Like, okay, so is it in the 30s? Is it in the 40s? Like, there's some people that seem to never get it. There's some people that seem to have always had it. And so you stepping now in your 30s into a new transition could be very intimidating mm-hmm. and probably is. And yet I'm wondering what your experience of this new transition is and if any of your past influences the way you feel about this current change. Yeah, I mean, I think you're your metaphor of swimming or at least being in like your water metaphor is good because for me it comes down to to faith because each one of those experiences was kind of a stepping into or at least each one of those in a positive way was a stepping into faith of like okay i'm gonna go to this country i have no idea how it's gonna go nobody's kind of explained to me what it's like to travel internationally and i don't speak the language but my parents are willing to let me go and i'm gonna walk into it you know and, and see what happens and i survived and learned a lot and then undergrad, it was kind of the same and just in terms of, I guess, my pursuit of like, why why would you get a degree like that? And what is classics? I had never heard of it before. And, you know, you're not going to get a job with that. And then stepping into the kitchen as what, I mean, you know, an incredibly green cook and just, you know, taking so much abuse, but but walking into it like, all right, we'll see how this goes. And I'm going to try it. And then probably the, the scariest one uh, to this point would have been teaching just because I was 
terrified to be in front of people. I had no, I have very little actual experience in a school because I was homeschooled for the majority of my career. So it was like seventh grade for the first time for me, along with all of my 225 students I was supposed to be in charge of. And uh, I mean, that was just absolutely horrifying. And yet stepping into it knowing, okay, there is a, a call, I do feel called into this. The door has been opened and and I'm going to take that step. But I've, I don't know if there's, at least the way I see it, it doesn't feel like there's ever solid ground. It feels like that's, like, I don't want to actually stand on solid ground. I want to stay in the deep of whatever it is God is calling me to next. And there's no opportunity to say, okay, I trust you, but I'm going to go ahead and rest here because I, I need that and just keep continuing that. All right, this is what's next. And you don't know if you're ready for it. And oh, by the way, you're having a child while you step into it. And uh, oh, you're going to get calls from other seminaries who are going to attack you for the seminary you've chosen because they don't agree with them. And just that feeling of like, all right, well, this is still the deep and uh, there's no place to rest. So you just kind of keep going. And so I think that that's been the biggest thing is just that recognizing, okay, this is what God is calling us into. And this is, you know, it's always a, a step of faith and there's absolutely no guarantee, you know, ever. But learning, having been very kindly walked into that gently over, you know, over the years of like, all right, let's try it with traveling. Okay, now let's try it with school. Okay, now let's try it with a job. Let's try it with a very different job that you never thought you could do. And, you know, now you're going to move across the country and start a degree that you have expectations for, but you don't really know where it's going to go. And, how you're going to support your your family and yeah there's something to the the water metaphor that i almost want to use the word current mm. um but that feels maybe like forcing it too much or if there's a current all of a sudden i'm terrified of of stagnant water mm. because there is movement right like there is being pulled out of things and into new things without necessarily finding solid ground because if I found that island, I would be that guy in every far side comic who just sits there. Mm -hmm. And like maybe I have an endless supply of glass bottles and corks to send my SOS messages, but like that would be as stagnant as mm -hmm. stagnant water. And yet there's a movement to relationship with God and faith that sort of demands you stay right. moving right. and in the water. Yeah. Your reference to the island makes me think like of two things. So I think there's, you either, you can stay. And for that, for me, that might've been no degree. And I just, you know, I'm a painter and I could make good money painting and, and that's totally, you know, respectable. And then there's a degree and it's a cook. And then I could have stayed as a cook and it would have been incredibly difficult job, but I, I could have worked my way to the top, I I think. And I, you know, I could have made a, a living and I could have made a name for myself and I, and that could have happened. And then there's teaching. And I'm, after four years, not the worst teacher. And, you know, they're not firing me. So I think I could have stayed there. And that's what it feels like staying on the island. And then there's the other form, which would be climbing the ladder, which I also hope I'm not doing, is which is like the, oh, I just need to make more money so I can be as comfortable as possible. Or I need to, you know, I want more fame or I want more power or something like that. And I, I think that's that's the other trajectory I'm trying to avoid. And I think I'm doing a good job at it considering I'm going to grad school with a family and no job. So I think I'm definitely not climbing a ladder. But uh, I love what you're describing in that. It feels like, I know that I felt that mostly there are two options and there is a form of stasis where you're just stuck 
or there is motion. Mm -hmm. And if you're in motion, it looks like another job and a better job and another credential. And I think, and it looks like the upward mobility, Mm -hmm. increased security, uh, increased power, increased reward. But to hear you name the reality of, there are actually many forms of motion available and they're not all the same and they're not just, and they're all valued the same. Like, I go out there and say it's actually better to choose the thing that God is calling you into than the upward mobility. Like mm-hmm. there is a form of staying moving and actually being headed a direction that might not look like a direction, but it is nonetheless where God is calling you and where your maturity and flourishing is going to happen. Mm-hmm. And it's it's the real alternative to a version of simply increasing influence. And it is, as you've described it, leveling up in the amount of risk that you're able to take and therefore the kinds of risks that God will call you into. Yeah. Dude, excited for what's ahead. Thanks for joining us today. You're welcome. Guys, thanks for dropping by and listening to the podcast. We hope you enjoyed it today. If you want to keep tabs on us and what other projects we've got going on, the best way to do that is to follow us on social media. If you are no longer on social media like some of us, don't panic. You can still keep tabs on what we're up to. Just go to ansonsmagazine.com, join our mailing list, and we'll keep you in the know. And while you're there, be sure to read the magazine. 